Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. In this week's episode, we talk to Anthony Knoppers and Stefan Giesner about the challenges of leadership during COVID-19 and tools and techniques for leading with presence online. Anthony is a trainer, coach, facilitator, guest speaker and actor and teaches at the Rotterdam School of Management. He works with a broad range of international and national corporations on leadership and personal development. Stefan Giesner is a professor of organisational behaviour and change at the Rotterdam School of Management and his research sits at the intersection of psychology and management. Together with co-author Millie Obdine, they have written Leading with Presence, Fundamental Tools and Insights for Impactful Engaging Leadership. So welcome to the podcast, Anthony and Stefan. Thanks for having us. Your new book is called Leading with Presence. How do you define presence and why is it important in relation to leadership? There's a couple of parts and why it's so important for leadership. One is we define it as being in the moment, really having less distractions in your head and really being with the people that you are with, uh, whether you're giving a presentation or having a meeting. And then the other thing that defines for us presence is how to motivate, inspire, instill confidence, exude confidence and instill trust with others. That for us is presence. And the way we also talk about it is you sort of notice it from people when they walk into the room. There's sort of an air to people who have a lot of presence. Without it being bombastic, they take up the right amount of space. They use their voice and their body language in such a way that it's in complete balance with what they verbally communicate. And they really connect with people. And that, for us, is really what presence is all about. It's interesting that the term presence, there's actually two research areas where it's actually been used as a real term. The one is on virtual realities. So that's about if you are in a virtual world, whether you really feel you're on this world, whether you also feel that other people are around there, whether they you, know, you share that space, and whether you actually connect with these people. Yeah? So these are like has three layers in the way of presence. The other field where presence is used is nursing science. So for nursing, it's about whether you're there being there with the client, with the patient, and secondly, being with the patient. So in a way, in its strongest form, it always means that you make a connection to somebody. And that's in, in such different areas as virtual realities as in as much as nursing. And I think when it comes to leadership, one of the defining issues of leadership is there is no leader without followers. You need to connect to someone. And only with the connection, you can exert leadership in a way of influence. In that sense, we focus on this presence of that you are actually taking the step of being there with persons or with your audience, but also you connect with this audience. This way you exert already a leadership. Sounds like there's really two parts to it, of what you convey, what you put out, and also what you take in from other people, that being present to listen. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, what role do you see emotional intelligence and authenticity playing in relation to this? Emotional intelligence, especially under the, the sense of you have to, in a way, get to know your audience, understand your audience, to make a connection and to be there with your audience. It actually is important to understand your audience, understand the emotions they show, make sense out of them and react correctly towards them. So that's one of these aspects of emotional intelligence. And you see that a lot on these nonverbal cues as well, not just on the on the verbal cues, but it's actually most often that we pick up the nonverbal cues to make sense of what people think and how they feel. Somebody might say something, I feel confident, but you see in the 
the behaviors where they show non-verbally that they're not feel confident because they move a lot and showing nervousness somehow in the movements they have. Authenticity, I think, is also an important aspect we consider because one of the things is that what is important is the message you want to bring across has to be somehow concurrent with the number of the parts of the message. And we see a lot of people not having that. And that let other people believe they're non-authentic. It's interesting from research we know that actually the authenticity we feel, like I was authentic in a situation, is not necessarily the authenticity others perceive. So there's hardly any relationship between the, what, what I say about myself, about my authenticity, and what others see. And I think many ways that kind of emotional intelligence and this kind of aligning of message and number of cues is a sense of that. So you need to have alignment with that to actually show authenticity or perceived authenticity, because that's what you really want to have, yeah? that other people perceive you as, as authentic. And sometimes it's this thing that we might not feel very much authentic in engaging in these things, because for us, it's strange sometimes to show strong emotions, for instance, even so the message is emotional. What we try to do in the book is give a lot of exercises in a way to not let the emotions overwhelm us. I'm sure we all recognize that we wrote that email in haste, in anger, and then we send it or we say something in a heated meeting and you walk away and go, why did I say that? And what we want to offer people is a way in through the body because we believe that's a very quick way in to apply things like grounding and breathing in which you can still have those emotions, but have more choice in managing the emotions. That's actually what also emotional intelligence partly is, is how do you manage the emotions that are there? I mean, we're human beings. We're going to always have emotions about something. But how do you have more management over your emotions? That's what's really interesting to us. And we find ways through the body to have more management over that. And then in terms of the authenticity, I think it's what the three of us, the three authors of this book see a lot is because we give other kinds of trainings as well. We see leaders convey messages. You know, the words are beautiful, but the team members see something else. They feel something else. And that's, for me, the whole main thing is imbalance. And as long as what you say is imbalanced with what you show, you're doing great. But unfortunately, we find in the many presentations we've seen, in the talks we've seen leaders give to their team members and their stakeholders, that that's often not the case. So we think it's really worthwhile to spend some time delving into the body language and the voice to see how then do you support those elements with your verbal communication. That's really interesting because I've always assumed I'm authentic. If I'm saying something authentically, that will somehow translate just automatically. I've not considered properly how other people feel and how that might clash with what I feel is authentic and I think also the role of emotions I mean emotions are information they're how people make decisions and I think you've always got to take that into account so over the last year with the pandemic we've all moved to online communication we're all talking virtually over zoom how can understanding and nonverbal communication help us in meetings and conversations that we're having over zoom you know how do we portray that authenticity 
It's been a challenge for many, and the term Zoom fatigue is really out there now, and I think is legitimate because I find that now we're not traveling to the office anymore or visiting clients. First of all, people's days are just completely packed with meeting after meeting after meeting. And then there's elements that are really not natural, as in we wouldn't have them if we were having face-to-face meetings. So for instance, you see yourself. And rarely do we look at ourselves and go, wow, do I look good today? That's one thing that makes you know these Zoom and team meetings very unnatural. The other thing is we're staring at each other's faces. If you're sitting in you know conference room, you might turn away a little, you might you know look somewhere else, you might be thinking. And we find that in these Zoom meetings, there's these very concentrated faces looking at each other, which can be very intimidating. So what we've try to do is devote a big part in one chapter of our book on how to make your online meetings more engaging and you know things like having better posture having more alignment doing more grounding doing deeper breathing but also using all the vocal elements that you have at your disposal because especially a lot of people don't have their cameras on so then it's all the voice and of course the verbal elements so instead of sort of droning on monotonously support your presentation and your communication with all the tools that are available uh, with your voice. Things like changing the register of your voice, varying the tempo of your voice, the volume, using emphasis. Those are all easy ways in to make your voice really much more engaging and therefore have a bit less of that Zoom fatigue. It's better to have the pandemic now than like 10 years ago. I mean, the technique we have nowadays that we have these Zoom and Teams and forum platforms to see each other to actually have nice conversations with each other helps a lot already. Our screens are better, our webcams are better. So that, that's a good thing. I think one of the things I experience a lot is like, you know, we just talked about what presence is. One of the difficulty we ourselves have in these uh, conversations is that we are present. It's for us harder. So if I sit in front of a screen and talk with the other people, it gives me a different feeling because it's not face-to-face, it's not the correct saying because I can see the face-to-face. It's not like I'm not there in person, but not being there in person makes it harder to have this connection. What I said that is like presence is like being there and being with. So the first step would be that I bring myself to be there and be with. So we much more easily get distracted because we might have emails, we can go on the internet, all of these things become much more easier now. So most often it starts with us that we are not there. And then it's hard actually to make the connection because you only have the small pictures of the other ones seeing. We still want to rely on the nonverbal cues, so we we probably listen a bit more to the voice there, but we still want to see a bit more. And it's hard sometimes to see the face uh, correctly, or you have to make a choice whether you want to have a big face or see like everybody in that. So you have to make some choices that kind of restricts us and is is not like the normal way we normally have it in a person-to-person contact. But it's, it's not too bad what we have technically available. But still, I think it starts a bit like with ourselves on bringing ourselves in that context of being there and being with. And if everybody just does that, it's already a much more richer conversation. And all of these cues will come back because we will be there and connect yeah, with each other and bring on the right emotions and not read an email and kind of be distracted for a second. All of these things that just happen, you kind of see sometimes in the face that somebody just does something different now. And it's not paying attention. And that's a, a problem. So if everybody just engages in that, being there and being with, then it's already a much better conversation we can have. And that ties into what we say about leadership. You, as a leader, are always watched. Leaders need to realize that even when you know, you're back at the office and you're getting a cup of coffee, 
the stakeholders and the employees are always gauging the mood of a leader, always, subconsciously or consciously. And the way a leader sits, the way their eye contact is, all those things really influence the employees. So also in these uh, video conferencing sessions, I think as a leader, you can take the example and really try not to multitask, which is very tempting. I mean, all those, you know, sounds and, and the email notifications. So one thing I do when I give online workshops is, you know, my phone is on silent. I can't see it. Uh, all my notifications are off because obviously when I'm teaching, I really want to be present, but I also have to set the example. I think that's important to realize as a leader, you can set the example and really try to have others also not multitask because it, it is tempting. I find it tempting too. It's four o'clock. You've had six or seven meetings. The meeting may not be as engaging and you start to, you know, look on LinkedIn or read your emails, et cetera. It's normal. I get it. But that would never happen in a person meeting. You would notice right away if someone's on their phone and it would be considered a little rude. I sometimes struggle with that. Like by the time I get to the end of the day, my brain feels like fudge and I'm basically just saying word salad. Keeping myself in the meeting, in the room and not just checking stuff online is quite tricky. Are there any other specific tips or tricks that you can suggest to listeners using these platforms? One of these things, what we recommend is like that you sit in a position that makes you also active, not like slumping in your chair, but maybe sitting more active, upright on your chair. That kind of gives you also a bit more energy. A couple of my colleagues, you see them standing in their office, even some have these platforms to walk on just to get like this physical part, which you normally have maybe in other contexts where you also stand and walk a little bit when you talk with other persons. Yeah. So uh, in that sense, having some more taking care of your physical activity level and sitting in a good position should also help you not to be tired and be more active, engaged in the conversation. We mentioned some other tips in the book, like, for instance, when you're communicating, I tend to look into the camera because it gives others the feeling that I'm looking, you know, having direct eye contact and then to see their reaction, I'll look down. It helps with that connection. So in person, you just have, you know, eye contact, but online, it's just a little different. Taking care of good lighting so that you're not lit from the back and you don't look all creepy and dark. I see a lot of people working side and looking off and not at all into the camera. So there's technical things you can do. And, you know, like Stefan says, physical things, because we tend to slouch a lot in front of our laptop. So just sitting upright will really not only help others because you seem much more energized and present, but it'll really help yourself as well. And you'll have more room for breath. Helen, if it's four o'clock and you're drained and you've had meetings all day, one thing I do when I'm in that situation, which happens a lot, is first of all, I ground. I make sure I'm grounded because that I do it right now. So that made me calmer. My voice drops. I tend to talk slower when I ground. I'm much more in the moment. And then the breathing, breathing deeply from the diaphragm, not from here, you know, the, the, the high chest area, but breathing lower will help bring me more in the moment. It will energize me. It will help me to focus. So there's really a lot of ways in with the body and, of course, the voice to make yourself much more engaging and an effective communicator in online meetings. I have actually sat up straight now. Since, since we've been talking, I've uh, got, my, got myself sitting properly. Tell me, what is grounding? Grounding would be if you place both feet flat on the floor, which also tend to rarely do when we're sitting. We'll usually have, or standing for that matter, 
one way in is to think that there's the roots, you're rooting yourself into the floor, much like a tree does, right? So think right now the roots of a tree growing through your legs, through your feet, and rooting itself into the ground or the floor. So when I do that, instantly I'm grounded. And it's a really great way to to calm yourself and to be much more present and to give yourself more energy and focus. And the book is about the concept of presence uh, in relation to leadership, but it does seem that a lot of these tips actually are really useful for anybody. How is presence important to those who are not in leadership and how can understanding and using this help people potentially move into leadership positions? In the science world, we would make a differentiation when we talk about leadership and when we talk about leaders. So leaders, we you know, these are people who are in a specific structural position of power, within a hierarchical position. When we talk about leadership, we talk more about a skill, about something you can learn, something you exert. So when we talk about leadership, in a way, it means everybody can just do that. And leadership means somebody is following you somehow, or somebody is engaging with you. So in that sense, I think everything what we say in the book is not, not necessarily meant for those persons who are in a structural position of being a leader. Also, certainly these people have it very much necessary to because they are observed all the time. They are the kind of role models we look towards. They, they definitely have it uh, needed. Yeah? But uh, otherwise, I think in many situations, we always, everybody of us takes over the lead. Might it be at, at your family at home yeah? when you want to say how the evening should actually look like and you want to convince the other ones, then you also have to show some leadership. But it's also in the business context when you have to give a pitch to your boss, you also have to show leadership because you have to convince them. You have to influence them. You have to be in front. You have to be engaging with them. And so this giving or providing leadership in a way is an everyday experience we all have. So explain it's the way we saw it is really the leadership within yourself, your personal leadership. So the book really is for anyone who communicates, basically, who wants to make their communication, be it a presentation, be it a meeting, being a pitch, a negotiation, more effective, more engaging, more inspiring, more motivating. And we've sought with the book to give as much a combination of research and exercises. So it's really, really practical. It's also really important to think about personal leadership in that context of speaking to external clients and to third parties and engaging people outside of your workplace as well. Given the predominance of email and instant messaging and and Teams and Zoom that we use now, we're all working from home, and that's only been heightened during the pandemic. What's important about how we use voice and expression and storytelling in our business communication? It's actually an interesting question. We actually can adapt very easily technology and we find new ways to read also the number of the cues in there. Might it be when you do WhatsApp, you have these emoticons, yeah? So this is a way of non-verbally dealing with uh, our expressions, yeah? What we cannot put in words, we put in these emoticons and they're used a lot. We now can say a words in there, we can record that. So actually people can hear our voice now. I think these non-verbal parts are in as much important because we search for this information as well as part of our communication. They're in as much important now on these online environments as they are in a personal environment. There might be just that some of these things become more important. Like you could imagine that the voice has a strong impact now than maybe the, the posture we see because we don't see the full body. But in a way, the posture, if you sit now active, you probably also have just a better voice, a clearer voice or more energizing voice. So it's not to say that the rest of posture doesn't play a role. It's just like uh, how it arrives to the, the receiver. It might be more now through the voice than uh, through the other aspects. 
I think since March, February last year, people really need more of that connection. I think nowadays we tend to just dive into meetings and have very little chit-chat. And even the chit-chat seems stilted and unnatural. And we talk about two things, the weather and corona. If we were in person and we were meeting, the chit-chat would be very different. And I think actually much longer. And I think one of the things that communicators and leaders can really use during these days is the element of storytelling because it's such a powerful communication tool and it's a way to really increase your authenticity towards your stakeholders and employees and also show some vulnerability. I think leaders often have sort of this stance of like, I have to be the tough one, the one in control. And yeah, often that's the case. But I think those moments where the leader goes, you know what? I struggle with this too. I'm having a difficult time with this as well. And use a story to illustrate that. It can do so much with the connection with your team because then your team members see, oh, you also you also struggle with this. Oh, okay. And it sort of makes it more all right uh, for the others. And I'm not saying as a leader, you should do this when you just start leading your team. That's a moment I wouldn't do that. But if you've been a leader of a team for a while or you're communicating something with your stakeholders, using a personal story where you struggled or had a challenge like we all do, you know, since February last year, I think really can help that connection and help get your message across in a really powerful and effective way. That's true. I can think of people doing that across the last year and it has actually changed me as a listener, how I'm feeling and how I'm receiving that information. You know, it's very true. And I think also something else I've been using a lot is GIFs and memes. Mm -hmm. You know, I use that one from Community a lot where he comes in with the pizzas and everything's on fire. It's shorthand (laughs) that everybody understands. It's probably still going to be quite a while before we can meet in person and have mass gatherings, you know, have conferences. And if business leaders can't talk to their staff members directly in person, how can they help maintain that good communication and, and purposeful leadership through technology? One of the things I observed over the last months, that lots of people, including myself, managerial positions, we, we kind of complain and at the same time being proud of having more meetings. So the, the kind of message comes always, oh, I have so many meetings now, but it's, it's kind of this complaining about, but at the same time kind of giving the message we're proud of because now we compensate somehow for these kind of communication. I think the point as we underestimate is actually that we actually do not compensate for the communication because all of this type of informal communication would normally have in your office where people just observe you, where just you share coffee. All of these things are not there. And there's so much, this informal type of communication we have that even if we now do more official type of communication, and that's why a lot of people miss that. They miss that context in the office for these reasons. So I think one of the vices is to use as much as possible technology also in different ways of interactions with their teams, not just have a normal Zoom meeting, but also try to have some more type of social meetings. And there are now a lot of companies becoming interesting and offering different types of services online that feels a bit more like the normal interactions and so on. But leaders should be also aware, but probably we never really can fully compensate all the information we give in a communication compared to a in-person context. So, but I would motivate everybody just to use as many different and try out maybe as many different software, which is available there to get in a communication and especially also in social communication with their teams or some of their team members. 
there's a real opportunity to connect outside of the sort of scheduled meetings. I mean, we're all working from home, Helen and Stefan can see my background and, and I can see Stefan's and that's unique. I've noticed throughout the year, you know, some people use virtual backgrounds and, and we advise to do that if your background is very messy. But otherwise, I'm like, well, why not? Why not look, have a peek into this is who I am, you know? And I think to use more of this ways of connecting, but really scheduling the sort of what we call water cooler moments, right? These natural moments where you're in a hallway, you come across someone at the office and you have that little impromptu chat. It doesn't exist anymore. So Unfortunately, now we have to sort of make these half hour, hour, or however long meetings where we don't talk about work and we just really check in with each other. So I think that's important for leaders to do. I know companies who have town halls. I know companies who sort of set Friday as a no appointment day. And I think that's really helpful too, because we're inundated, I think, with appointments now. For leaders to find those times to connect with their team, you can get as personal as the people want but just to connect to each other in a different way than the agenda of the day and the to-dos and, and all those other things. Across the last year, we've all witnessed both political leaders and senior medical figures around the world communicating this kind of complex scientific information and these widespread changes to our everyday lives, communicating the, the process of lockdown and the rules around lockdowns. And we see that on TV, on mass media platforms, you know, what role have you seen nonverbal communication play in the way these announcements are made? In, in the moment, there is an interest in this information. So what's the new information we get? But if you think about what information really had impacted maybe yourself, or if I think about myself, what information wants about, about COVID, how bad it is, then I think more on these scenes on the media where, for instance, nurses talked about how heavy the work is currently they're doing, how bad it is, and showing strong emotions. So when we see our politicians talking about the pandemic, it's more like an information sharing session of there's not much emotion with that. Yeah, there's not that doesn't have this kind of personal story to it. I, I guess this also makes people, to a certain degree, not buy in all the time, not being fully convinced by the severity of that. Whereas when I see these nurses yeah, talking, or also doctors talking about it, and showing strong emotions with that, maybe even crying when they start talking about seeing patients die, this has a much stronger impact on me as an observer, as a recipient of that information. So I think one of the things is like, why do our, our politicians or whoever provides that information also not show some more emotions on that? Because it should have stronger impact. That's in a way what our book is also about and what we recommend. Showing a bit of that makes the messages just much more stronger and aligned coming back to authenticity with the point you want to say. If you say it's really severe, then just saying it very monotonous, it doesn't have the same impact. So in that sense, I think what we can learn from these nurses is that also politicians maybe should show a bit more emotions. And with this one comes the non-verbal cues that actually would fit the message they want to bring across. Yeah, Because now they just give along the, the new measures they need to take and they just give us like numbers and we are tired of these numbers. I think people would much more respond on if you talk about specific cases, what happened, who passed away maybe. I think these are the emotional messages that bring the message really into us. 
I think as a leader or communicator of the gravity of what's going on, I think empathy also really helps. So coloring your voice with empathy and compassion. Think about if you have a child and your child walks in the room crying, you would use your voice a certain way to comfort that child. We do that automatically. So why not as a leader or communicator during these times, convey that to the people that you're communicating with? That's one thing. And then I think it's really important to also convey authority in the way of clarity, the gravity of what's going on, how dire things are in certain parts of the world. And I think then it becomes even harder and more important for people to convey, please be patient for a little longer because things are really dire right now. And if you convey that in a very monotonous voice, as Stefan says, the meaning and the message just won't get across as effectively as that you really use all the vocal elements such as emphasis, such as tempo of speaking, the register of your voice. I'm going lower right now. I'm going slower. Those are things that research has proven really has an impact to the listener. So speaking, for instance, in a high voice this way and really nervous is very different than speaking slower and calmer and with a lower voice. So to consider all those things in the way you communicate, especially during these times, is really, really important, in my opinion. I have quite a high-pitched voice, and I have a tendency to speak fast when I'm engaged and interested in something, so I'll speed up. And how do you advise people to be conscious of that? The first step is to indeed be conscious of it. So we have lots of exercises that we do in our workshops, and also we've written, of course, a ton in our book. One way in to get to a lower register, first of all, is you need a deeper breath, right? So when we're nervous or excited, two things happen. The voice goes up and our breath goes up. Hi, everyone. It's uh, great to see you. I'm really excited, right? So, so that happens right away. And it does something to not only the communicator, but also the listener. And a way in is, for instance, uh, one of the things we use is children's stories. Children's stories are wonderful because they usually have you know various characters. So think of Winnie the Pooh, right? So there's Winnie the Pooh, there's a rabbit. Rabbit would have a very different voice than Winnie the Pooh, who might talk really slowly and really low. And so if you have kids, we always recommend they're the best audience because they're brutally honest usually. And use the characters in the story to discover those lower voices because your ear has to get used to that because our ear is used to hearing our voice. And as soon as you dip into a lower voice, the ear is going to go, wait, that's not your voice. But it is. It is your voice. It's just using your voice in a different way. So we tell people whose register tends to be high, first of all, to breathe deeper, to ground, because that always lowers the voice quite automatically. Singing is really wonderful. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody is the one I always recommend because it has that Galileo, Galileo. So that's a really fun one to practice. And if you feel you know self-conscious, just practice alone in the car, for instance, or while you're walking, I guess. Yeah, there are many ways in and many exercises to really uh, strengthen your voice to make it much more engaging and effective. This kind of nonverbal part of our toolbox and this also emotional intelligence is a part we can train and we can learn on that. The issue here comes, as we talked also about authenticity, when you start training that, you feel very much inauthentic because it's new. We have a lot of people when we give trainings where they think they talk loud. And when we say to them, really kind of shout at us for the audience, for the other people in the course, they give the feedback, now you sound like on normal volume. But for themselves, it's like, oh, I was shouting so loud, it must have been horrible for everybody. 
So this is again where the differences is between how you feel yourself, what is authentic and what the others see. So in, in a way, if you start practicing, if you start learning, if you start trying out, if you feel inauthentic, it's a good thing because one perspective of on authenticity is whenever you feel inauthentic, you're actually learning. This is a bit like as you learn driving a car in the beginning, it's all kind of weird and strange, but now we just do it automatic. And the same thing comes with these nonverbal parts. You have to train it first. It's overwhelming. You kind of forget other things if you concentrate on one. But if your practice is more, it also becomes automatic again. And then it becomes authentic again. Have you got any good examples of impactful and engaging techniques from leaders that you've witnessed? I think Obama, especially his DNC speech in August last year, I think was absolutely brilliant. And what I think he's so effective in communicating is his pauses, but he stays in eye contact. That's really important during a pause because we say that the message lingers on in the silence, right? So he'll say something and he'll pause and that gives the listener and the viewer time to absorb the information, but it also adds some gravitas to the information. And then I think he was very moved in that speech and he was visibly moved and seemed for me very authentic in that moment without being overly emotional where people might disengage. And I think he handles that tightrope just brilliantly. And uh, for sure, he's someone I very much admire in the way he communicates. Of course, Martin Luther King is the apt. I mean, the way the man spoke was almost like he was singing. It was so beautiful. And then I think uh, Yacinda Arden, I really like too, because she has a sort of personal touch to, I think, how she communicates that I think is so unique to the leader of, you know, in such a position that for me feels very effective in the way she connects with others. Yeah, and I might also add uh, Michelle Obama. We often show a video of her where she's in a bookstore signing her books and that takes a long time because a lot of people want to get a signature there and she really focuses on every individual and is present for every individual in that scene which is quite impressive uh, for such a long time sitting there and you never have the feeling that she shows different type of energy or attention i should better say that to everybody who comes along and that's quite impressive as well and again she shows there actually this this presence again, being there and being with every person who is there, showing full attention to that. And that brings naturally also the right emotion and the, the right nonverbal cues, nonverbal language you need to have in your situation. I do always think that the Obamas are very authentic. They definitely managed to portray that sense of authenticity very well. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. That was absolutely fascinating. And I will be sitting up straight <laughs> a lot more. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for this time and thank you for offering an opportunity to talk about this, our book and our, our work. Yeah. Thank you, Ellen. It was lovely to be with you. You can find the link to Anthony and Stefan's book below in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening and we hope you join us all again in two weeks' time.